Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? Uh, I'm a little out of breath because... Uh, if you listened to yesterday's episode, you might have heard, uh, I, despite all of my precautionary behaviors, caught COVID apparently, and that's all sorts of fun. But the show, as they say, must keep going, I think. I don't know. I'm on painkiller. Let's talk about the news for today, Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. And let's start off with some updates to a few stories that I have talked about in recent episodes. Uh, First up, the NVIDIA bid for the semiconductor company ARM is officially off the table. NVIDIA had been pursuing a $66 billion acquisition of ARM, the British semiconductor company, but encountered numerous regulatory obstacles along the way. Now, I mentioned last week that it looked like this deal was falling apart, and now we can definitively say that the deal fell apart. 
Relatively recently, we've seen regulators in regions like the European Union, the United States, and the United Kingdom become more wary of large acquisitions and mergers, particularly in the tech world, but not exclusively to tech. And the proposed acquisition appears to be a victim of increased scrutiny of such proposed deals. I'm sure this comes as something of a relief to companies like Microsoft and Qualcomm, both of which depend upon ARM manufactured chips, and neither of which would want to see NVIDIA get control of that part of the supply chain. As for ARM, its current owner, which is the Asian conglomerate SoftBank, uh, plans to prepare ARM for an initial public offering for later in the year, that is, to spin it off as a publicly traded company. Now, we might see another tug-of-war happen on that front, because in the UK, a lot of officials are really eager to see ARM, a British company, listed on the UK's stock market. But SoftBank seems inclined to instead list ARM on the New York Stock Exchange, where you might see a slightly better share price value listed initially, so SoftBank could make back some of the money it spent acquiring ARM in the first place. Politics and business are fun. Continuing to update stories, earlier this month, news broke that the United States Internal Revenue Service, or IRS, everyone's favorite department in the U.S., was planning to use a third-party company for the purposes of authenticating people who were trying to access some online IRS services, and they would be doing that through facial recognition technology. The plan would have required people to submit a video selfie of themselves and then use a camera, either on their phone or on a webcam, to verify their identity before they would be able to use certain features on the IRS website. Critics objected to this practice pretty quickly, pointing out that facial recognition technology is often proven to be unreliable, particularly for anyone who doesn't happen to be male and white. Uh, there's a pervasive issue with bias in facial recognition. Uh, some products have more of a problem with this than others. In addition, critics argue that the requirement would put an unfair burden on people who don't have the access to smartphones or webcams and thus create a deeper digital divide between the haves and the have-nots. And because, you know, everyone's supposed to file taxes, that's a real problem. And then there's the concern for privacy and security that comes along with using a, a private third-party company to work so closely with, you know, a government service like Internal Revenue. That seems to, you know, raise a few more concerns. And now the IRS has walked back its decision, saying it's going to transition away from using this facial recognition technology, which it had already started to roll out, and that it will, quote, develop and bring online an additional authentication process that does not involve facial recognition, end quote. Not too long ago, I dedicated an episode of Tech Stuff to talk about Peloton, the company best known for its connected exercise bikes, also does treadmills, and you take online spin classes from the comfort of your own basement, I mean, home. And Peloton has had a pretty dramatic fall from grace over the last few months, with the company's sales slowing dramatically after a big spike early on in the pandemic. And then there are reportedly warehouses filled with Peloton products that just haven't sold. And there are also some PR issues that were exacerbated by a couple of fictional characters suffering fictional heart attacks 
after working on the bikes, because that's the kind of world we live in, I guess, where a fictional character's death on a show can actually put a stigma against a company. Anyway, John Foley, the founder of Peloton and now former CEO, announced that he was stepping down from his leadership role. Um, well, that leadership role. Foley has led Peloton ever since he came up with the idea more than a, a decade ago. And he will instead become the executive chair of the board of directors. So still very much, you know, part of the company. And a man named Barry McCarthy, who had served as chief financial officer of Spotify, another company that's been in the hot seat recently, will become the new president and CEO of Peloton. Uh, Peloton's current president, William Lynch, is also stepping down. Foley and Lynch aren't the only two people at Peloton who will be updating their resumes. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that the company expects to cut about 20% of its workforce. That's around 2,800 jobs. There have also been calls from activist shareholders to sell the company in order to uh, get a little money back for those shareholders because, of course, share prices in Peloton have dropped more than 15% this year. Although I saw a headline just before I started recording that suggests a lot of movement on that front. So it may be different by the time you hear this. Now, I just mentioned Spotify, so let's let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, first of all, Spotify and iHeartRadio, or iHeartMedia, are competitors, and I work for iHeartMedia. I'm saying that up front because context is important. And also, to say I'm not speaking on behalf of my employer in any way. I honestly don't know what anyone official in iHeart thinks about what's going on at Spotify, and there's certainly no official company position that I can point to, so this is just me here. Uh, all right, with that out of the way, Spotify has been trying to walk a tightrope over the last few weeks, all thanks to Joe Rogan. Uh, Spotify famously signed Joe Rogan to an exclusive deal for his podcast for the princely sum of $100 million. That's a heck of a deal. So to get Rogan's podcast, you had to use Spotify. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, several musicians began to pull their musical catalogs off of Spotify because of Rogan's tendency to spread COVID misinformation on his show. Uh, the musicians expressed concern about the dangers this posed, considering Rogan's immense popularity. So Spotify's response was essentially, you know, it's it's Joe Rogan's show. We just license the show from him. We don't take a hand in shaping the content. We're not editors. Uh, who he chooses to have on his show and what he talks about are all up to him. So we're just the platform, and as long as he doesn't violate our rules the content stays. Those rules, by the way, weren't public-facing. Like, there was no way to see whether content was violating the rules if you were outside Spotify. So you couldn't judge that. Uh, the company subsequently then published those rules. So now they are public-facing, but at the time they weren't. And then artist India Ari pulled her music off the platform because of Rogan's history of using racial slurs on his show. She actually shared a video montage of him doing so over the course of numerous episodes. And this time Spotify swept in and had uh, behind-the-scenes discussions with Rogan on the matter. And subsequently, Rogan pulled down more than 100 of his past episodes. Now, The Verge published an article about this titled Spotify is more confused about Joe Rogan than ever. And The Verge pointed out that the racial slurs, while horrible, don't actually seem to violate Spotify's rules as they are written. Uh, it would take some loose interpretation of the rules to say, oh, 
this covers racial slurs as well. Not that racial slurs aren't bad, they're terrible, but rather that Spotify, it didn't seem like it was a direct violation of what Spotify's rules were. So The Verge poses, why can Spotify pressure Rogan to pull down those episodes in that case, but do nothing in the case of COVID misinformation? And this is a really tough situation. On the one hand, creators value having freedom and authority over their own work. I get to choose what topics I cover for my show and how I cover them. iHeart does not pressure me to do otherwise. You know, I might once in a while get a request like, hey, would you do a themed episode on such and such? But I can actually say yes or no to that. And 99% of the time, whatever the topic happens to be for that day is one that I just chose myself. And it's my own way of, of expressing my thoughts on those topics. However, on the other hand, spreading misinformation and promoting harmful portrayals of people of color or in giving white supremacists a platform, which Rogan has done in the past, undeniably that causes harm. And so you're left asking, is it better to place tighter restrictions on content and affect the creator's process? Or is it better to have the creator be free to send out whatever message they want, even if that message is harmful? Now, as a creator, I actually think tighter restrictions are the better alternative. I mean, I value my ability to say stuff, but I don't think that ability is more important than the safety and dignity of other people. I think that's way more important than, oh gosh, you're not letting me say this word that I shouldn't say. Um, that's my own opinion, just my own personal opinion, not, again, meant to be any kind of official stance on the matter. All right, we've got some more news stories to cover, but before we get to that, Let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. According to Euronews, authorities in the EU are looking at the concept of the metaverse with regard to what, if any, regulations will need to be in place to protect citizens from what some call the future of the internet. In fact, Marguerite Vetiker, and I, I apologize for butchering that name, uh, she's an EU representative from Denmark, went so far as to say, quote, the metaverse is here already, so of course we want, we start analyzing what will be the role for a regulator what is the role for our legislature, end quote. I actually take issue with her statement that the metaverse is here already because no one has really defined what the metaverse is or will be. There are a lot of kind of vague ideas and, and proposals of what metaverse will actually mean whenever we have something that we can definitively point to and say that is a metaverse. And there's some examples of stuff that have elements of some of those ideas. I mean, Minecraft, Roblox, and even Second Life come to mind as having some aspects of what people refer to when they're talking about metaverse concepts. But none of those seem to actually encompass everything that is brought to mind when that vague term metaverse is mentioned. However, there are definitely a lot of companies rushing into the metaverse space, convinced that it is in fact going to be the future of the internet. Uh, I'm still skeptical about that personally, but I have a long history of being wrong about this kind of stuff. And besides, I'm getting older and grouchier every day, so that could be affecting my perception. Anyway, it's clear that EU officials are looking ahead and trying to anticipate what sort of regulations will need to be in place in order to ensure that the metaverses, whatever those turn out to be, play by the EU's rules about citizen data privacy and security. Uh, the EU has been very forward on those, uh, pushing for stronger and stronger regulations. And turning from the metaverse to Meta, you know, the company formerly known as Facebook, we have a few more stories. For one, Meta has said it might actually shut down operations in Europe for Facebook and Instagram. That is, uh, the folks in Europe may one day find they can no longer access those platforms. Now, why is that? Well, it all has to do with those data privacy laws in the EU I just referenced. See, Facebook currently transfers data back and forth between the UK and the United States, or really the United States and everywhere else. Like if you lived in Africa, that data would be making its way back to the United States for processing and analyzing. Um, so in the European Union, there are these transatlantic data transfers that happens so that Facebook can quote-unquote offer services to European users. 
and by offer services, I suspect we're not just talking about features on Facebook and Instagram, but stuff like, you know, targeted advertising, that that's part of what the data is being used for. But the EU's data protection laws are closing off the avenues that Facebook can legally use to transfer data from the European Union to the United States, uh, largely because there are concerns that such data transfers could end up being mined by organizations like the National Security Agency or NSA here in the United States, and that EU citizens should not be subjected to that, especially without their consent. So that's what's at the heart here. And the EU has started to shut down some of the avenues that Facebook would use to send data back and forth. So that would mean Facebook would have to silo information in the European Union. It would have to set up operations in the EU specifically to handle all that in order to keep, you know, its its services essentially the same as they are now, rather than just having it shipped over to the United States, that data. So they're essentially saying, hey, if we can't transfer data back to the United States so that we can make use of it. We can't operate in the EU, so we're going to shut down. Now, I should also add that reps at Meta have said the company doesn't actually have plans to shut down operations in the EU. Instead, they're sending the message that there needs to be some sort of official structure in place so that the company can continue on with business as usual. Meanwhile, reps in the EU are essentially saying, you need us more than we need you. And in fact, Meta pulls about 25% of its ad revenue from Europe. Uh, about half of all revenue comes from North America, and the remaining 25% gets divvied up around the rest of the world. So the United States and Canada are the most important regions for Facebook when it comes to revenue, but the EU, you know, 25%, that's significant. So if Meta were not to comply, it could face some pretty significant fines in Europe, and at the moment, the matter is still one that's working its way through regulatory processes. So it may turn out this whole kerfuffle dies without much happening, but we'll have to keep an eye on it. Okay, another story with Meta is that Peter Thiel, a venture capitalist who has long maintained a seat at Meta's board of directors, is stepping down from the board. Uh, Thiel himself is a controversial figure, having become a prominent supporter of conservative politicians, including former U.S. President Donald Trump. Now, I say controversial because Trump, of course, got into hot water on Facebook and other online platforms by repeatedly violating policies of those platforms, including Facebook's, and that necessitated his removal from those platforms. In fact, I think Facebook was the first one to do it. So, you know, Peter Thiel being a supporter of Donald Trump, there was this question about whether his influence at the board level would cause Facebook to make bad decisions regarding its content moderation policies, and there were critics who were calling upon CEO Mark Zuckerberg to cut tiles with Thiel, but Mark Totes didn't do that. Anyway, Thiel now appears to be interested in getting into politics himself, so he has stepped down from Facebook's board, uh, which would absolutely be necessary before he could <laughs> run for any kind of office without, you know, tons of people jumping on his case for having conflicts of interest. Um, yeah, so the, the a very important figure in Facebook's history and one that has had an increasingly um, prominent role in supporting politics in the United States. As for Meta's version of the metaverse, 
The company has recently made a change to its virtual reality social space called Horizon. It's got a couple of different Horizon products out there, like Horizon World. And the change now creates a virtual personal space perimeter around each avatar. And you might wonder why. Well, it's because people can be really awful, particularly in online spaces. We've already seen early users of Horizon come forward with complaints that they were being harassed in virtual spaces, uh, some of them saying that others were attempting to virtually grope at them. And, you know, that might sound odd or maybe even funny to you, but, you know, when you think about it, it really is disturbing. Uh, Like, first, I mean, you have no idea what someone else has been through in their life. And a virtual action like that could be triggering. Like, if someone actually has been the target of, of sexual harassment or assault in their past, a virtual representation of that is incredibly distressing. Beyond that, a good virtual experience is really immersive. I mean, you know, there there are uh, therapists out there who use virtual reality to help treat people who have various phobias as a kind of immersion therapy where the the person who has like the phobia can be exposed to a virtual representation of whatever it is that triggers the fear and get more accustomed to it without having to actually go in person and experience that firsthand. Like they have that safety net of it's a virtual experience, but I can tell you people have had their bodies react just as if they were in the real situation. So we know that these virtual experiences can have real psychological effects on us. So if you are the victim of assault uh, it can have a real psychological effect, even though, you know, you're ostensibly safely at home in, in say, your your game room or office or whatever, and nothing, quote unquote, real is happening to you. Um, but yeah, having people blatantly deny you your personal space is just awful. So this new system in Horizon creates a two-foot radius perimeter around every avatar by default, and that is meant to set the stage for behavioral norms within the metaverse. Now, keep in mind, this is just one way people could harass one another in virtual space, right? To get all up into someone else's personal space. That's one way that you could really harass somebody. But there are lots of other ones. And meta executives have already indicated that moderating the metaverse to counteract toxicity will be difficult. And actually, according to Andrew Bosworth of Meta... If you're talking about metaverse at scale, it will be practically impossible, which does not sound particularly fun to me. Okay, we've got a few more news stories to cover before we close out, but let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Let us turn our attention now to Apple. The company is also coming under fire recently as eight state treasurers in the United States have contacted the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, over allegations that Apple has been forcing employees to sign non-disclosure agreements, uh, more commonly referred to as NDAs, and use them as, quote-unquote, concealment clauses. So in other words, the allegation is that Apple coerces employees to sign an agreement that says the employee will not reveal the existence of unlawful acts committed by people within the company or facilitated by the company itself, that you are not allowed to talk about that outside of specific uh, contexts within the company itself. You could not go to a lawyer. You could not go to the press. You weren't supposed to talk about it to anyone. And the letter from these state treasurers urge, urges the uh, SEC to form rules that expressly forbid companies from using NDAs in order to silence employees and prevent reports of discrimination, harassment, and other illegal activities from being exposed outside the company. Further, the treasurers are accusing Apple of not just using NDAs in this way, but also then lying about that practice, because Apple has said that it does not require employees to agree to concealment clauses. And so these allegations are stating that that's categorically false and that Apple then misrepresented that when talking to official U.S. regulators. Uh, the treasurers are now calling for an investigation and potentially action against Apple should those allegations prove to be true. So uh, that's still, 
you know, again, working its way through that process. We don't have anything hard to report on that yet, but uh, it does seem to be an escalation of what has been called the Apple II movement, T-O-O, like Me Too. Over in Europe, Apple is facing more fines. The Authority for Consumers and Markets Department in the Netherlands has issued a fine for 5 million euros for the third week in a row, stating that Apple has failed to comply with an order to allow dating apps to offer alternative payment systems to Apple's own in-app system. This ties in with a global story of Apple facing pressure to relinquish some control of the in-app experience in iOS, So in case you're not familiar with that, Apple's policy was that developers who created apps for iOS devices had, and any of them that included in-app purchases would have to use Apple's payment structure. So in other words, let's say I I create a game for iOS devices and within the game, players can purchase different skins for their character so that they have a different appearance. Well, I would have to use Apple's in-app payment structure for that, and that would give Apple a cut of each transaction, which ranged from 15 to 30 percent, depending upon the size of the developer that was, you know, submitting the app. And because Apple controls the entire ecosystem for iOS apps, you either played by Apple's rules or your app would not get carried by Apple. And of course, you know, people know that the the folks who own iPhones are more prone to in-app purchases than other platforms. Like, even though there are way more Android systems out there, uh, the people who spend the most money are those who have iOS systems. So that would represent a pretty lucrative uh, vein of revenue for Apple. Uh, so Apple does not want to move away from that, obviously, because that revenue is an important stream for the company. So Apple has been resisting the push in various regions. Uh, They've been appealing court decisions that have ruled against Apple, commanding the company to allow alternative uh, payment systems. And the company has been trying to reverse this trend with uh, even the CEO making personal calls to lawmakers. But over in the EU, regulators are not budging and they continue to levy fines on Apple for not complying or failing to show evidence that the company is complying. The current bout of fines is, as I mentioned, 5 million euros a week, which has a maximum of 50 million euros, which is a lot of money. But for Apple, it's kind of not. I mean, Apple's revenue in 2021 was a reported $365.8 billion, and the profit was nearly $95 billion. So I'm not sure how seriously Apple is taking this just yet, or if the company is just more focused on fighting the legal battle to push back against this trend. And in Apple future news, the company has long been rumored to be working on a vehicle design, sometimes called the Apple Car, or cheekily, sometimes the iCar. And recently, an Apple patent revealed that the company intends to incorporate machine learning into the design of the vehicle for the purposes of autonomous operation. So essentially... The conclusion is that the processors of today are just not up to the task of handling situations that can arise while driving. They're not fast enough to react properly for every kind of driving situation that, you know, it's one thing to program for, say, collision detection or, you know, lane assist and that kind of stuff. But it's another thing entirely to deal with all the possible scenarios that can pop up when you're on the road. 
if you are a driver, chances are there has been a situation at one point or another that you've never encountered before. Humans can typically react to those things in an instinctive way that, you know, can be successful. But a car that is following more, you know, strict programming may not be able to. And that's a problem. So machine learning could allow for a fleet of cars to share their collective experiences with one another. So let's just imagine, you know, this is a hypothetical. Imagine you've got a thousand autonomous cars on the road. And most of those cars are going to have relatively uneventful drives where nothing particularly unexpected happens. So they're not learning anything. Uh, There might be a few that have something that's a little out of the ordinary. So they have the potential to learn from those experiences. And you'll have a few, very few outliers that will have truly unusual experiences. Uh, Those experiences and the car's reaction to those experiences can then build into the overall fleet's knowledge base. So car number one can learn from the mistakes of car 1000. And that means cars wouldn't be learning just from their own mistakes, but from the mistakes and successes of all the other cars in the fleet. Now, this gets a little scary to think about because we're talking about large, heavy, fast-moving vehicles here. And the word mistake is not much fun when you're thinking about it in those terms, right? Like a mistake can be, you know, life-altering. It could be fatal. But on the other hand, this represents a way to build out how cars will react in different situations that can evolve far faster than if you were just programming each scenario independently, which would take you forever because you would never be able to account for every single possibility on the road. It's just, that's just not feasible. Now, I should add that Apple is not the only company that has looked into this kind of approach where you're using machine learning and a fleet of vehicles to kind of improve individual car uh, responses. But the patent does give us a rare glimpse into the ultra-secret project of an Apple car. Finally, some Australian researchers have bad news for alien lovers out there. Uh, The researchers used a powerful radio telescope array to focus on the galactic center of the Milky Way, and they listened out for any signals that could indicate alien activity. Uh, In other words, they were looking for stuff what doesn't fit into the natural radio signals you would expect to find from the galactic center. Uh, They listened for uh, around seven hours, and their report is that all is quiet on the galactic front. Their search was within a region known to have at least 144 exoplanets in it. An exoplanet is a planet that exists outside of our own solar system. Now note, an exoplanet is not necessarily a planet that exists within the so-called Goldilocks zone. Uh, Those are planets that are known to be in a distance that's not too far nor too close from the host star of that planet's system. And so could potentially support life, at least as we know it here on Earth. I mean, a lot of other factors would have to be present too for that to be true. But one of them is that, well, the planet has to be the right distance from the star or else it's going to be, you know, too hot and too radiated to support life as we know it, or too cold and too dark to support life as we know it. It has to be just right. But anyway, these researchers have looked around in different sectors of the galaxy over the last decade with occasional glimpses. Uh, Time on radio telescopes is really precious. So it's not like these radio telescopes are just scanning the galaxy for signs of life. They're doing all sorts of important scientific work. 
So it's only been here and there that the researchers have been able to make use of radio telescopes for this, but so far they have come up with bupkis. Now, does that mean we're all alone out here in the Milky Way? Well, not necessarily. Uh, the astronomers have to listen in at specific ranges of radio frequencies, which means, you know, potentially you could have communications in different radio frequency ranges and we wouldn't pick it up because we were tuned in. It's like being tuned into the wrong radio station. Like you're not going to hear the song you want because you're on the wrong station. Kind of like that. But, you know, we're talking about massive ranges of radio frequencies. And then there are tons of other variables to consider. Uh, a lot of them were popularized by the Drake equation, as proposed by Dr. Frank Drake. That equation frames the variables that have to line up in order for there to actually be a radio communicative species out there, apart from our own, I mean. And it includes stuff like you have to figure out the rate at which stars form within our galaxy, uh, the fraction of the stars that are out there, that have planets orbiting them, then the average number of orbiting planets uh, per star that could potentially support life, like does the average star have that has planets have one, two, point five planets that can support life, depending upon, you know, the number of stars that have orbiting planets and such. Then you have to figure out the fraction of those planets that actually develop life on them. They're not just capable of supporting life, but life actually evolved. Then the fraction of those planets where the life evolved into at least one intelligent species, the fraction of those planets where the intelligent life then develops some form of communication that we would be able to detect, and then the length of time at which such civilizations exist before they're no longer able to communicate. So in other words, like you could have an intelligent species evolve to the point of being able to communicate with radio waves, but then maybe... After a certain amount of time, that species wipes itself out. It would be easy to imagine, considering the amount of conflict that we see here on Earth. It's possible that that is something that is not unique to our planet. You know, a lot of our, our science fiction deals with alien races that don't have that kind of internal conflict within their own homeworlds. We don't know if that's a thing. Well, we don't even know if the alien <laughs> races exist, let alone, you know, how harmonious they are within their own species. So we don't really know the values of all those variables I just mentioned, by the way. The best we can do is make various guesses, and those guesses change dramatically as we learn new information about our galaxy. What I think those variables do that is useful is it gives us a way to kind of conceptualize what we're up against when it comes to figuring out if there is anyone to phone home to out there. So far, sadly, it seems like the aliens are maintaining radio silence. Maybe all of our calls are going to voicemail. But, um, you know, again, it doesn't, this doesn't mean that there is no intelligent alien life within our galaxy, just that we have not found a way of detecting it if it does exist. Uh, personally, I think it's entirely possible there could be, I'm sure that there has to be life somewhere else. I don't think we're that special. <laughs> I think that that's that statistically speaking, it's almost certain that there is life on other planets within our universe, certainly, if not within our galaxy. I mean, just the odds seem to suggest that that has to be the case, that some of that life may have evolved into intelligence, I think is also pretty likely. But we're also talking about such vast distances here that our ability to pick up on it 
and the time frame at which we could pick up on it. Because remember, the further out something is, the more into the past we are looking when we observe that because it takes light years to travel to us and radio communication is traveling effectively, you know, the speed of light, you know, that means that we're looking back in the past, the further out we look. And so it could mean that we're looking at a time before the intelligent life started to communicate via radio waves. Maybe it's doing it now, but we won't know that for thousands of years. So there's all these different variables to take into account. So do not lose hope, alien lovers. Just know that we haven't found the smoking flying saucer yet. That's it for this episode of Tech Stuff, the news for Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. I hope you are all well. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. The best way is on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 